Chapter Twenty Eight of Buddhist Writings. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ray. Buddhist Writings, translated by Henry Clark Warren. Chapter Twenty Eight. The Story of Vasaka. As flowers in rich profusion piled, will many a garland furnish forth, so all the years of mortal man should fruitful be in all good works. As flowers in rich profusion piled, this doctrinal instruction was given by the teacher while dwelling near Savati in Eastern Monastery, and it was concerning Visaka, a female lay disciple. She was born, we are told, in the city of Badia, in the kingdom of Bengal. Her father, Dananjaya, son of Mandaka the treasurer, ranked also as treasurer, and her mother was the lady Sumana, his principal wife. When Visaka was seven years old, the teacher, perceiving that the Brahmin seller and others of her city were competent to attain to salvation, went thither on his wanderings accompanied by a great congregation of priests. Now at that time Mandaka, who was filling the office of treasurer in that city, was head of a household of five persons of great merit. The five persons of great merit were Mandaka the treasurer, Paduma his principal wife, Daranjaya his eldest son, the latter's wife Sumana, and Mandaka's slave Puna. Now Mandaka the treasurer was not the only person of illimitable wealth in Bimsara's territory. There were five of them. Jotia, Jatila, Mandaka, Punaka, Kakavaliya. When Mandaka the treasurer heard of the arrival of the one possessing the ten forces, he sent for the little maid Vizaka, the daughter of his son Dalanjaya the treasurer, and said to her, Dear girl, this is an auspicious day for you and for me. With your five hundred girl attendants, mount five hundred chariots, and with these five hundred female slaves as your retinue, go to welcome the one possessing the ten forces. Very well, said she, and did so. But as she well knew what etiquette required, when she had gone as far in her carriage as was proper for carriages to go, she alighted, and on foot drew near to the teacher. Then she did him obeisance and stood respectfully at one side. Pleased with her behaviour, the teacher taught her the doctrine, and at the end of the discourse she attained to the fruit of conversion together with her five hundred maidens. Also Mandaka, the treasurer, drew near to the teacher, and listening to a sermon, attained to the fruit of conversion, and invited him for the morrow to breakfast. On the next day, at his own house, he served the Buddha and the congregation of the priests with excellent food, both hard and soft, and thus for a month he gave liberally. And when the teacher had stopped in the city of Badia as long as he wished, he departed. Now at that time, Bimbisara and Pasenadi the Kosalan were connected by marriage, being each of them the husband of the other's sister. And one day it occurred to the Koslin king, in Bimimsara's territory dwell five men of illimitable wealth, while there is not one in mine. Suppose now I go to Bimbisara and ask him for one of these persons of great merit. 
and going to King Bimbisara, he was received cordially by the latter, who then asked, What was your purpose in coming? In your territory dwell five men of illimitable wealth, persons of great merit. I have come with the intention of taking one of them back with me. Let me have one. It would be impossible for me to move one of these great families. I will not go without, was the reply. The king took counsel with his ministers and then said to him, To move such powerful personages as Jyoti and the others would be like moving the world. But Mandaka the great treasurer has a son called Dadanjaya the treasurer. I will consult with him and then give you my reply. Then Bimbisara sent for Dadanjaya the treasurer and said to him, Dear friend, the king of the Kosalin says he will not return home unless you go with him. Therefore go with him, pray. Sire, I will go if you send me. Then make your preparations, dear friend, and go. So he got himself ready, and the king was full of kind attentions to him, and at parting formally entrusted him to Pasanadi the king. And Pasanadi the king set out for Savati, intending to spend one night on the way. And coming to a pleasant spot, they bivouacked there. Then said Dadanjaya the treasurer, Whose territory are we on now? Mine, O treasurer. How far is it from here to Savati? Seven leagues. It is very crowded in the city, and my suite is a large one. Sire, if it so please you, I will dwell here. Very good, said the king in assent, and mapping out for him a city, he gave it to him and went away. And from the circumstance that the settlement in that place was made in the evening, the city received the name of Saketa. Now there was dwelling at Zavati a young man named Punavadanna, who was the son of a treasurer named Migara, and had just come of age. And his mother and father said to him, Son, choose yourself a wife from what family you please. Oh, I have no use for anything of that sort. Son, act not so. No family can last without children. Well then, said he, when they continually insisted, if I can have a girl endowed with the five beauties, I will do as you say. But, son, what are these five beauties? Beauty of hair, beauty of flesh, beauty of bone, beauty of skin, and beauty of youth. The hair of a woman who is experiencing the reward of great merit is like a peacock's tail, and, when it is loosened and allowed to fall, reaches to the bottom of the tunic, where the ends turn and point upwards. This is beauty of hair. The lips are of a fine colour resembling a bright red gourd, and are smooth and pleasant to touch. This is beauty of flesh. The teeth are white, with even interstices resembling a row of diamonds set upright, or evenly cut mother of pearl. This is beauty of bone. The skin even without the application of sandalwood perfume or any rouge or cos other cosmetic, is glossy like a blue lotus wreath, and white like a wreath of kanikara flowers. This is beauty of skin. She possesses a youthfulness as fresh when she has brought forth ten times as if she had brought forth but once. This is beauty of youth. Then his mother and father invited and entertained one hundred and eight Brahmins, and inquired of them, Are there any women endowed with the five beauties? Assuredly there are. Then let eight of you go in search of a girl of this description, 
and giving them a liberal present, they continued, When you return, we will remember you again. Go, search for a girl of this description, and as soon as you find her, put on her this decoration. And with that, they placed in their hands a gold wreath worth a hundred thousand pieces of money, and dismissed them. So the eight Brahmins went searching through all the large cities, but discovered no girl endowed with the five beauties. Then they turned back, and as they were returning, they chanced to arrive at Saketa on public day. Now, thought they, our mission will be effected. It seems that every year in that city there was held a festival called Public Day. Then all those ladies who are not in the habit of going out of doors issue forth from their homes with their attendants and show themselves in public, going on foot to the banks of the river. And on the same day they do this, all the rich men's sons of the warrior and other caste station themselves alongside the paths in order to put garlands on the heads of any pretty girls they may see of equal rank with themselves. And these Brahmins came also and stationed themselves in a hall of the banks of the river. At that moment, Vizaka, then some fifteen or sixteen years old, came to that place on her way to bathe in the river, being decked in all her ornaments, and attended by five hundred maidens. And suddenly a cloud arose, and it began to rain. The five hundred maidens took to running and sought refuge in the hall. The Brahmins scanned them carefully, but saw not one among them endowed with the five beauties. Then Visakha came up at her natural gate, and entered the hall, and her garments and ornaments were wet. The Brahmins perceived that she had four of the beauties, and being desirous of seeing her teeth, they began conversing among themselves, saying, "'Our daughter is of a lazy disposition. Her husband, we must needs suppose, will have to content himself with sour gruel. Then said Vizaka, What is that you are saying? Dear girl, we say thus and so. They say the sound of her voice was sweet, sounding forth like the tones of a gong of bell metal. Then with a sweet voice she asked them again, Why do you say that? Your attendant women came running to this hall, and did not get their garments or their ornaments wet. But though it is but a little way, you did not run at all, and got your garments and ornaments wet. This is why we speak as we do. Good sirs, say not so. I am better able to run than they, but I had my reasons for not running. What were they, dear girl? Good sirs, there are four things which do not appear to advantage when running, and there is another reason. Dear girl, what are the four things? Good sirs, an anointed and richly dressed king does not appear to advantage when he binds up his loincloth and runs in the royal court. Everyone finds fault, saying, How is it this great king rushes around like any householder? He appears to advantage when walking at a slow gait. The king's caparisoned state elephant does not appear to advantage when running. He appears to advantage when marching at an elephant's natural dignified pace. A man who has retired from the world does not appear to advantage when running. Everyone finds fault, saying, How is it this monk rushes about like any layman? He appears to advantage when adopting a tranquil gait. No woman appears to advantage when running. People justly find fault with her, saying, How is it this woman rushes about like a man? 
these four do not appear to advantage when running. But what, dear girl, was your other reason? Good sirs, a daughter is brought up by her mother and father, who put a value on every limb in her body. For we are goods for sale. They bring us up in order to marry us into another family. If we should run and stumble, either over our skirts or over some obstacle on the ground, and in falling should break either a hand or foot, we should remain as burdens on our families. But articles of ornament, if they get wet, can dry. This, good sirs, was my reason for not running. All the while she was talking, the Brahmins were beholding the splendour of her teeth, such splendour as they felt they had never seen before. And having applauded her speech, they took the gold wreath and placed it on her head, and said, You, dear girl, are the one whom this befits. Then she asked them, Good sirs, from what city are you come? From Savati, dear girl. The treasurer, the head of the family, what is his name? His name, dear girl, is Megara the treasurer. And my young master, what is his name? He is the young Punavadana, dear girl. Having thus ascertained that the family was of equal caste to her own, she sent a message to her father to send the chariot. For although she had come on foot, it is not allowed to maidens to return in that manner when once they have been decorated with the wreath. The daughters of influential families return in chariots and the like. Others either mount ordinary carriages or walk under a palm-leaf parasol, or, if that is lacking, they raise the skirts of their cloaks and throw them over their shoulders. In present instance, her father sent her five hundred chariots, and she and her attendants mounted and returned home while the Brahmins accompanied them. Then said the treasurer to the Brahmins, Whence are you come? From Savati, great treasurer. The treasurer, what is his name? Megara, the treasurer. What is the son's name? Young Punavadana. The riches, how great are the riches? Four hundred millions, great treasurer. His riches by the side of ours are but as a farthing. However, from the time one obtains a protector for a maiden, why look for anything else? Thus he gave his consent. After a day or two of hospitable entertainment, he dismissed them, and they returned to Savati and announced to Megara the treasurer, We have found the girl. Whose daughter is she? Daranjaya the treasurer's. That is a powerful personage whose daughter you have secured for us. We must go quickly to fetch her. Then he went and announced to the king the circumstances of the case, and that he must needs absent himself for a while. And the king thought to himself, This is the great personage whom I removed from before Bimsbisara and settled in Saketa. I ought to pay him some attention. And he said to Megara, the treasurer, I too will go. Very good, sire, replied the other, and sent the following message to Dadanjaya, the treasurer. When I come, the king will come also, and the king's army is large. Shall you be able to take care of so many people or not? The return message came. Let ten kings come, if they wish. The Megara, the treasurer, took all the inhabitants of that large city, leaving barely enough to guard the houses, and when he had come within half a league of Saketa, he halted and sent a message announcing his arrival. Then... Daranjaya, the treasurer, 
after sending out to him a large present, consulted with his daughter. "'My dear,' said he, "'I hear that your father-in-law has come with the king of the Corselins. Which house shall we get ready for him? Which for the king, and which ones for the deputy kings?' Now clever was the treasurer's daughter, with a fully matured and keen intellect, the result of longing expressed, an aspiration cherished through a hundred thousand world-cycles, and she gave orders, Let such and such a house be got ready for my father-in-law, such another for the king, and such others for the deputy kings. After making these arrangements, she next summoned the slaves and servants, and said to them, Let so many of you wait on the king, and so many on the deputy kings, and do you who are hostlers and the like take care of the elephants, horses, and other beasts, for our guests must have a merry time while they are here. Such were her orders. And why? So that none might say, We came to Vizaka's merry-making and got nothing for our pains, but spent our time looking after our beasts. That same day, Vizaka's father sent for five hundred goldsmiths, and giving them a thousand nikas of red gold, besides silver, gems, pearls, coral, diamonds, etc., enough to go with, he said, Make for my daughter what is called the great creeper Purua. After remaining a few days, the king sent a message to Dadanjaya the treasurer, saying, It is too great a load for a simple treasurer to feed and take care of us. Be pleased to appoint a time for the maiden's departure. But Dadanjaya the treasurer returned word to the king, The rainy season is now come, and you can well afford to remain four months. Let everything pertaining to your army be my care. It will be time enough for your majesty to go when I dismiss you. From that time on it was like a continual festival for the city of Saketa. From the king down, every one was provided with garlands, perfumes, garments, and other gifts, so that each one felt himself the especial object of the treasurer's hospitality. Thus three months went by, but the purur was not yet finished. Then came the masters of ceremonies and announced to the treasurer, There is no lack of anything else but the army has not sufficient wood to cook its meals. Go, my dear sirs, take all the tumble-down elephant stables and other buildings of the kind in the city, and all the dilapidated houses, and use them for cooking fuel. This wood did the cooking for half a month, and thereupon they again announced to the treasurer, There is no wood. At this time in the year one cannot go for wood, but open the storehouses where stuffs are kept, and make wicks of the coarse cloths, dip them in vessels of oil, and so cook your meals. They did so for half a month, and as four months had gone by, and the perure was finished, there was no thread in this perure, silver was used instead. When this perure was on, it extended from head to foot. At the latter place were bunches of gold medals and silver dyes. On the crown of the head was a medal, at the top of the ears, two, at the throat, one, at the knees, two, at the elbows, two, and at the sides of the waist, two. Now a part of this perure consisted of a peacock, and there were five hundred feathers of red gold in the wing on the right side, and five hundred in the one on the left side. The beak was of coral, the eyes were of jewels, and likewise the neck and the tail feathers. 
The midribs of the feathers were of silver, and likewise the shanks of the legs. When placed in position of Visaka's head, it appeared like a peacock dancing on the summit of a mountain, and the sound which came from the thousand midribs rolled forth like the tones of celestial choruses and orchestras. And it was only when people had come quite close that they knew it was not a real peacock. This perua was worth ninety millions, and a hundred thousand was spent on the workmanship. But what was the deed in a previous existence which caused her to obtain this perua? They say that in the time of Kasapa Buddha, she gave cloth for robes to twenty thousand priests, also thread and needles and dyeing material, all her own property, and the perua was the result of this liberality. For the giving of robes by a woman attains its fruition in the great creeper perua, by a man in the supernatural bowl and robes. When the great treasurer had thus spent four months in getting ready his daughter's trousseau, he began giving her the dowry. He gave five hundred carts full of money, five hundred carts full of gold dishes, five hundred full of silver dished, five hundred full of copper dishes, five hundred full of silk garments, five hundred full of clarified butter, five hundred full of husked rice, and five hundred full of plowshares and other implements. They say the reason why he thus gave her all manner of implements was for fear that his daughter in her new home might need something, and be obliged to send to her neighbours for it. And he gave fifteen hundred waiting-maids whose duties were to bathe, feed, and dress her, all of them handsome slaves and richly dressed, and riding in five hundred chariots, three to each several chariot. Then he determined to give his daughter some cattle, and gave orders to his men. Look you now, go and open the door of my lesser cattle fold, and post yourselves for a distance of three quarters of a league, and at every quarter league have a drum, and let the space across from side to side be a hundred and forty cubits, and let not the cows transgress those limits, and as soon as you get them in position, sound your drums. They did so. When the cows passed out of the fold, and had gone a quarter-league, the men gave a signal with the drum, and again at the end of the second quarter-league, and again at the third quarter-league, and they hemmed them in at the sides. Thus, for a space of three-quarters of a league in length, and a hundred and forty cubits across, the cows stood so close that they chafed one another. Then said the great treasurer, that is enough cows for my daughter, shut the door. So they shut the door of the fold. But, notwithstanding the door was shut, such was the effect of Vizaka's merit, that the vigorous bulls and the milk cows leapt up and got out. And in spite of all the men could do to prevent them, sixty thousand vigorous bulls and sixty thousand milk cows got out, and behind the milk cows followed vigorous bull calves. What was the deed in a previous existence by reason of which the cattle thus got out? Because once she kept on giving, in spite of the efforts people made to stop her. As tradition has it, in the time of the supreme Buddha, Kasapa, she was the youngest of the seven daughters of King Kiki, and her name was servant of the congregation. And so, as she was once giving the five products of the cow in alms to twenty thousand priests, the young priests and the novices cried, Enough, enough, and closed their hands up tight. But, 
notwithstanding their efforts to prevent her, she kept on giving, saying, Here is a sweet bit, here is a dainty morsel. This was the reason the cattle kept on coming out, notwithstanding the efforts made to prevent them. When the treasurer had got thus far in his giving, his wife said to him, You have assigned goods to my daughter, but no male and female vassals to do her bidding. Why is this? Because I want to find out who are fond of her and who are not. Of course I shall vassals with her to do her bidding. When she comes to mount her chariot to depart, I shall make proclamation. Let all who wish to go with my daughter do so, and let all others stay at home. Now the day before she was to depart, the treasurer sat in his room and had this daughter by him, and he admonished her, telling her what rules of conduct she should adopt when she came to dwell in her husband's family. And it happened that Megara the treasurer was seated in the next room, and overheard the admonition of Dadanjaya the treasurer, which was as follows. My child, as long as you dwell in your father-in-law's family, the indoor fire is not to be taken out of doors. Outdoor fire is not to be brought within doors. Give only to him who gives. Give not to him who does not give. Give both to him who gives and to him who does not give. Sit happily, eat happily, sleep happily, wait upon the fire, and reverence the household divinities. This was the tenfold admonition. On the next day he assembled the different guilds of artisans, and in this presence of the royal army he appointed eight householders to be sponsors of his daughter, saying, You are to try any charge of sin that may be brought against my daughter in her new home. Next he had his daughter put on her great creeper perure that was worth ninety millions, and gave her besides five hundred and forty millions with which to buy aromatic powders for her bath and causing her to mount a chariot he took her about in the neighbourhood of saketa as far as to anudapura through fourteen villages that were subject to him and as he went through one after another he caused proclamation to be made let all who wish to go with my daughter go on hearing the proclamation all the inhabitants of the fourteen villages without exception issued forth saying when our mistress is on the point of leaving, why stay we here? Then Dadanjaya, the treasurer, full of polite attentions to the king and Megara, the treasurer, accompanied them a short distance on their way, and having entrusted his daughter into their hands, he took leave of them. And Megara, the treasurer, rode in a conveyance behind the doors, and beholding the great crowd of people following, he asked, Pray, who are these? They are male and female vassals to do the bidding of your daughter-in-law. Who could ever feed so many? Beat and drive them away and keep only those who do not run. Hold, cried Visaka, do not drive them away. The one army can feed the other. But the treasurer persisted, saying, My dear girl, we have no use for them. Who is there to feed them? and he caused his men to fling clods of earth at them and to beat them with sticks and all those who did not run he took with him saying these are a plenty when visaka approached the gate of the city of savati she began to reflect shall i enter seated in a covered conveyance or standing erect in a chariot 
Then she thought, if I am in a covered conveyance when I enter, no one will see the elegance of my great creeper, Perur. So she entered the city standing in her chariot, and showing herself to the whole town. And when the inhabitants of Savati beheld the magnificence of Vizaka, they said, This, then, is Vizaka. Truly her magnificence becomes her well. And thus it was in great pomp that she entered the treasurer's house. Then all the inhabitants of the city sent gifts to her, according to their power and according to their ability, for they thought, Naranjaya, the treasurer, was exceedingly hospitable to us when we went to a city. But Vizaka took all the gifts that were sent her, and distributed them to the different families everywhere throughout the city, and in sending she accompanied each gift with an affectionate message. This is for my mother, this is for my father, this is for my brother, and this is for my sister, thus treating each one according to age, and making as it were, all the inhabitants of the city, her relatives. Now towards the end of the night, her thoroughbred mare gave birth to a foal, and Vizaka, accompanied by her female slaves bearing torches, went to the stable, and superintended while they washed the mare with warm water, and anointed her with oil. Then she returned to her own quarters. End of chapter 28 Recording by Ray